The following message is from the 2013 IBCD Summer Institute, Churches Equipped to Care. Welcome to the IBCD workshop. I'm Tom Maxim. The name of the workshop is Gospel Rest for Depression, Symptoms, Causes, and Cure. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love as most clearly seen in Christ and on that cross. And uh, we thank you for your spirit. The spirit of Christ dwells in us. And we ask that uh, you would, by your spirit, help us to understand this topic, um, understand this topic as related to our own lives and our counselees. Help us in our own lives to turn to Christ, to turn to his gospel, and help us to point those we minister to to Jesus and his gospel. May we be affected by your gospel. May we know the power of your gospel more. May we know you more, that we would be adequate, equipped for all the good works, all the ministry you plan for our life. We pray through Christ. Amen. So, to begin with, we'll have a discussion to try to help us understand the experience, especially for those who uh, haven't suffered with this. Believers and non-believers know the struggle of depression. It's not limited to unbelievers. Uh, many well-known believers such as Job and Elijah and King David and Jeremiah and people like Martin Luther and William Cooper, Charles Spurgeon, they all suffered with severe depression. Um, depression can be seen in the psalmist. In Psalm 88, the very last verse of Psalm 88, it ends with, You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. It doesn't end like the usual psalm does. Um, if you were to do an internet search and you were to look up famous, talented, wealthy people and put in um, who struggle with depression, it's a long list. And so it's not fame and talent and wealth that uh, relieves them of that. Um, but I, I hope when you leave tonight that you'll know that there is more that we can even ask or imagine um, in the power of the gospel and the wisdom that we can, um, we can get out of God's word to restore joy in our own lives and other people's lives. Um, Colossians 1.23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. So, this is written to believers, telling them, I know you have a tendency to drift away from the hope of the gospel. Come back to the hope of the gospel. Um, it's saying, ponder anew the gospel, believer. Be consumed with the gospel. Realize that you, you tend to functionally drift away. You do have the hope of the gospel, but then we tend to functionally drift away from that. And then the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And that's the kind of joy that's above all earthly trials, all failures, all circumstances. So, in understanding the experience, let's uh, talk about symptoms. And people have both physical and spiritual symptoms. They range from mild to severe, and they can be uh, a combination of physical and spiritual symptoms. So starting with the physical symptoms, there's uh, loss of uh, energy. People will complain of trouble sleeping, either, either getting adequate amount of sleep or too much sleep. Change in appetite or weight, uh, significant decrease or increase dulled senses, health problems. Uh, they'll complain of high blood pressure, various illnesses, headaches, body aches and pains, and a lowered sex drive. Spiritual symptoms that you'll hear, I, I, I wrote this one definition, but um, a soul lacking joy, peace, desire, and ability excessive, often unexplained sadness or prolonged low mood. 
There'll be a loss of interest in most things, uh, even in their own families, and a loss of pleasure in daily activities, problems concentrating, working, making decisions, restlessness. Uh, spiritual symptoms can be seen in believing lies, um, things like, I'm worthless, God's punishing me, God doesn't love me, and rehearsing these lies over and over in the thought life for some. Uh, there can be a self-righteousness or a self-reliance. Uh, you might see uh, self-focused or circumstance-focused instead of being God and other-focused. And then with these physical and spiritual symptoms uh, comes along um, less and less time in the Word and prayer, and some may even drift away from church attendance. Uh, though some will want to separate from others, and that could be even just within their own home where they start to not talk to others. And they can have inappropriate guilt or shame. They can doubt their salvation. Uh, I had a, a, a person I was ministering to who was really doubting his salvation. His wife was doubting his salvation, and uh, he was a Christian. Um, he, just, he just needed the gospel ministered to him. Um, worry and fear in a sinful way. Anger and bitterness um, can be at God for, let's say, feeling like they don't deserve a trial, or it can be at other people who uh, have done something wrong to them or not getting their desires. Thanklessness. There can be a pessimistic point of view. Even if something um, positive happens, there can be a pessimistic response to that. And then in some cases, some may not be doers. They might not be um, carrying out their responsibilities. There might be an idleness. Some escape with sin, so they'll be escaping their responsibilities, their feelings, the reality of their situation with sin like alcohol or excessive sleep. Um, or some might just get lost in entertainment, video games, movies, those kinds of things. Some have unexplained crying, which they can be uh, either quick to cry or they can cry for um, long periods of time. I had a counselee that described to me uh, what he would go through and he would, he would ball up in a fetal position. Um, some might hurt themselves, punching themselves or hurting themselves in some other way. And uh, degrees of hopelessness and some hopeless to the point of suicidal thoughts or a suicidal plan. So we've been, those are symptoms. People can have um, some of those. They can have some physical, some spiritual, one or the other, a combination. Uh, I actually had a counseling case where um, I would say that the guy had every one of those physical and spiritual symptoms. And, and he, was, uh, he had a couple of different plans in mind for suicide. So switching to causes, there can be a combination of uh, causes. And it's because we have fallen bodies and we have fallen natures. Um, sometimes um, people that suffer with depression think that, you know, they don't like when it's it just sin is pointed out, you know, that they, they feel there's something physical. There can be something physical. Um, we have, it makes sense, right? We have fallen bodies and we have fallen spirits. Uh, the, the spirit affects the body, the body affects the spirit. Um, yeah, so... Um, uh, a lot of times when I'm dealing with someone with depression, I'll write this down on a piece of paper or a whiteboard, and I'll say, I understand. It can be from both. Um, I don't want them to defend that it's uh, physical. Um, I want them to understand that I realize that. Uh, that. In fact, because of the fall, um, there can be an innate physical and spiritual depression to different degrees in all of us, um, a predisposition to that. But some people have a more pronounced predisposition to that. So we're on causes, so we'll start with physical causes. Um, so one thing, when you're, when you're trying to help somebody, there may or may not be physical causes. Um, I think there should be a balance where a counselor 
doesn't spend months needlessly ministering to somebody and they're needlessly suffering when there was a physical cause that they could have gone and rectified. Like maybe they're on a medication that there's a side effect that's making them depressed and you're spending months on something spiritual. But at the same time with that balance, I also don't want counselees to spend their whole life seeking a medical cure and ignoring the spiritual side of it. So there's a balance. So common uh, physical causes of depression is uh, side effect from medication. Um, there can also be uh, true medical problems that affect the mood. So some examples, uh, thyroid problems, infectious diseases, brain and nervous system uh, issues, chronic pain, those kinds of things, but there's many, many more than that that can make somebody's mood depressed. Use of illegal drugs, um, misuse of uh, prescribed medication or alcohol, poor dietary habits, nutritional deficiency, someone with an eating disorder, uh, lack of regular physical exercise, sleep deprivation like someone who's um, working too many hours, uh, a lady with a new baby, someone on drugs that's keeping them up 24, 48 hours, poor sleeping habits, and then uh, physical exhaustion from overworking. As I said, the body does run down the soul. So switching to um, spiritual causes. Um, spiritual causes are largely the cause of depression or the area that we can do the most for, um, where most change can occur. Um, it can be caused by um, the guilt that comes from sin, for uh, example, not handling um, daily responsibilities biblically, um, from sinful worry, anxiety, and fear, can develop into depression, idleness, as we're, we're to be doers of the word and we're to work hard to our ability. Some people have less physical ability to do that, and but we need to do it to our ability. Um, if we're guided by feelings, um, feelings are important. They're, um, we all want to grow in having a broader range of emotions like Christ, but we don't want to be guided by those feelings. Um, if we sin in, in typical ways like this, someone does something wrong to us, we do things wrong back, and that's the pattern of our life. And then if we have issues in our past that we're not dealing with biblically, it can run us down spiritually. And if we fall into temptation, like David, whose um, heavy hand, God's heavy hand was on him. And if we have uh, unconfessed sin that we're convicted about, past, current. And then um, if we have a trial in our life or we commit a sin and then we respond sinfully to it, um, let's say we have a setback or a disappointment or a failure, we can compound that problem by sinning. And often our sinful response is really bringing more misery than the problem. Um, in Psalm 73, verse 12 and 13, it says, Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and wash my hands in innocence, for I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. So this shows what I was just talking about, that we could have a trial or sin, and we need to work to glorify God in that, accept our situation, and how do we please God, how do we walk this out in a way that will glorify God, but often what we do is we respond sinfully to a trial or sin, and we have a sinful response. And from that, we have a complicating problem, and we may have an additional sinful response. And as this goes on and on, then spiritual depression is fruit of that. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you, and then um, we're going to get to this, and it's going to kind of be the center of this talk. Um, 
uh, won't be clear probably um, from just this slide, but we're going to get there. Um, it's a very important concept. So the foundational spiritual cause, I went over some spiritual causes, but the foundational spiritual cause is a functional unbelief. We all have functional unbelief. We believe, but help our unbelief. No one believes perfectly. So, um, but we can have a functional unbelief in what the gospel's done for us in the area of our justification or the satisfaction that we find in life. Um, and I'm going to explain that more. But as we do that, if we live over here an unbelief about our justification or unbelief that there's satisfaction in Christ, it will spiritually depress us. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, who was a um, preacher at the Westminster Chapel in London, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, which we highly recommend. Um, one thing about that book, if you have somebody who you want them to uh, realize you understand the experience of depression, that book is phenomenal for that. But he states in the book, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. Um, what happens is all of us, to a certain degree or another, will functionally drift into sort of the idea that God's not good enough to save or God's not good enough to satisfy one way or the other. Um, what brings joy is God is that good that he saved me and God is that good that I can be satisfied in him no matter what happens in my circumstances. So let's switch to uh, the new uh, section, Counseling the Depressed Person. Um, the first thing is it needs to be a friendship, a pastoral kind of relationship. Um, you can expect with depression that the counseling is going to be longer term than maybe some other counseling. It's not, it's not uncommon. And to agree to be with someone longer term is something can be the very first thing that's going to give them hope um, that the Lord will use you to help them. And then as we heard so beautifully more than once uh, downstairs, before we go into correcting and teaching people, we want to enter into, we want to understand their experience and their feelings like Christ did. He, he's the ultimate one who entered into our experience, and we want to do that so, so that we can come from a place like him of sympathy and understanding and then lead them to the truth which can set them free from spiritual depression. And, and I just I want to, for the sake of not um, um, being misunderstood, what I'm talking about is spiritual depression, not physical depression. So if you're, if you're suffering from something, physical depression, it's not stop sinning and this will all go away. Okay? I don't want, I don't want any confusion on that. Okay, so one thing we can do is help in practical ways. Or we can find others, if we're ministering the word to them, we can find others to help in practical ways, or both. So, for example, just be present with them. Uh, the one thing that the three, three of the four friends of Job, the first three friends, the one thing they did right when they first got there is just be there with him. Um, have eyes to see the obvious needs. If you're with them, if you're spending time with them, there's going to be obvious things in their life that will be helpful. Ask them directly what will be most helpful so you don't start doing things that add to their burden. And then if there's overwhelming stressors in their life, um, help them to get those stopped. Ask them, what, what, is, what are the most overwhelming things going on in your life right now? And see if there's a way to, to, um, to help them with that. You can uh, pray and read scripture. Uh, do it together. And the Psalms is an obvious place to go. Advise the church, at least the church leadership or their church friends, um, what's going on so that people can be praying and encouraging in their own way. Practical things like arrange for a weekly ride like to the worship service if those kinds of things are needed. Assist with a project. Uh, help together cleaning the house. Go together and wash the car together. Those kinds of things. And then walk with them exercise with them. The guy I mentioned before that I worked with, um, his pastor actually, I was ministering to him and his pastor was going to the gym with him. Um, 
and the church was praying for him. And then for some people, their issue is uh, they need help to um, be a doer and uh, have a productive daily schedule so you can help with that. And then you need to gather information to understand what's going on. So uh, one of the first things to do is identify or rule out, is this just normal sadness? A lot of things that people are quick to say depression, it's normal sadness. You have a real loss and then you have sadness that you're supposed to be sad over real loss. So kind of rule out that. Um, so obviously get an understanding of uh, like the history of their depression, the type, the severity, um, all the symptoms. And then data gathering as you're trying to figure out what are these causes, physical and spiritual. Um, ask them why they're depressed. Sometimes that question is missed. Um, and you can go on and on um, down a path and simply ask them. And in some cases, I'll ask people for a timeline. Um, write down, um, like, when did this start in your life? Um, what kind of marked the time of year this happens? When did you start on medication? When did your medical problems start? Just kind of get a timeline so you can get clear in your mind their history. See if you see any patterns, any repetitions there. Ask about medications they're on, antidepressants, psychotropic medications. How long have they been on those? And then very important is to um, ask heart questions. Um, ask diagnostic kind of questions. Um, see what things, um, ask questions that kind of give you an idea of where they're putting their trust, where they're putting their hope, um, um, maybe a wrong view of God, um, those kinds of things. So things that dig deep to um, where, where they're actually drifting from the gospel and where their heart needs to come back. Um, the underlying problem for the symptoms that you're seeing. And then you want to identify between what is weakness and what are violations of Scripture. For the weaknesses, you have great compassion um, on them. And for the violations of Scripture, there's no excuses for the violations of Scripture. You've got to point those out to them. 1 Corinthians 10:13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So sometimes there's so many problems going on that you're kind of wondering, are they at fault for this? But you, you can draw a clear line. If they're violating scripture, they need to be um, corrected for that. And, but if it's physical weakness um, that's going on, it's compassion. So like I said, someone is physically weak and they're operating at 50%, you don't try to get them to operate at what your 100% would be. You just help them to operate at 50%. You have compassion on that weakness. Okay, so moving into um, the cure, and we know it won't be completely cured in this life, um, but the physical and spiritual cure to give you sort of an outline and uh, plan as a counselor how to move forward. For the physical side of it, you want to look at lifestyle things that might need to be changed, and there may be medical treatment that is needed. On the spiritual side, you're going to look at heart issues and behavior just like um, any other counselee coming in with a spiritual issue. So, starting with the physical cure, um, some examples of lifestyle changes. Um, vitamins can help. Vitamin D, other vitamins, megavitamins, supplements. Um, and remember, these are for a deficiency. Um, we're trying to get them up to the correct level. It's something you, I wouldn't as a counselor say try these things, but I would try to get them connected with a nutritionist who can, who can recommend these things. And if they're on medication, um, have them coordinate with their health care provider um, that they're increasing these supplements and you know it may affect the medication they're on there may have to be coordination there and then um, but this is tied to an improved diet um, you don't want to have a bad diet and they're trying to take supplements to make up for the bad diet improve the diet and then you can also try these supplements 
Um, and then another lifestyle change is ensuring they're getting ad adequate sleep. People generally need seven to eight hours of sleep, and it's designed to refresh the mind and the body. Um, regular physical exercise, you could suggest something like a daily vigorous walk and maybe a longer hike on the weekend, something like that. It depends on the person. Uh, I've had people tell me, that is not enough. I, ne I need, you know, like an athletic kind of person, I need uh, more than that. I need to run. Great, run. And then there's people who um, may not be able to do any of that at all. But part of this is there's natural occurring chemicals that God has provided, and let's get those flowing through their body. And sunlight also might be an added benefit. And then some may need increased rest. Um, if they have excessive activities or obligations like just uh, long, long work hours, uh, work demands, um, often too many children's activities, those kinds of things, you ask them uh, what is excessive in your life. And then if they're abusing substances, legal or illegal, including alcohol, that, that needs to be part of a lifestyle change. And then continuing with the physical cure, uh, some may need medical treatment. Uh, it's wise to have them evaluated to um, either identify or rule out uh, the multiple possible um, physical causes for depression. And then some may need uh, their medication evaluated um, that, to make sure that depression isn't from the medication. So they may need to go on a different medication or have a change in their dosage. And then some who um, have had surgery or have been injured um, may need physical care, physical therapy to get their body as whole as possible. Okay, so then switching over to the spiritual side, the gospel is always needed. Um, it's the starting place and it's the emphasis. And often with a depressed person, you can ask them, are you weary? Do you feel crushed? Do you feel despairing? And they'll say, yes, crushed or despairing is the word. Yeah, I'm very weary. And it's the gospel is the power of God that takes us from being weary, crushed, and despairing. Um, there's, um, on the spiritual side, there's a spiritual problem, and it takes spiritual power to fix it. Um, Romans 1, 15 and 16, Paul says to believers, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, and in this context, wholeness and soundness. Um, you want to help them remember their identity in the gospel? First, they're a sinner. Uh, what I do with people is I brainstorm with them. What does the Bible tell us about all of us? And we write down a long list. It says we're depraved and we're selfish and we're self-deceived and all these things. And we should be, based on that, we should be the most deeply humble people on earth. Um, and if it wasn't for Christ, that's how we would live out our life and live out our eternity. But because of Christ, we're beloved by God, we're welcomed by God, we have peace by God, uh, peace with God. And, and because God loves us, we should be deeply confident people, deeply confident not in ourselves, because this is who we are, but deeply confident in God, the most confident people in the world. Um, when we put our confidence in ourselves, that confidence starts sliding. Um, we put it in God, we should be the most confident people in the world, all to the glory of Christ. John 15, 9, this is an amazing verse because it gives the quantity and the quality of uh, God's love for us. Jesus said, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love or dwell in my love. Often, a depressed person is not dwelling in the love of God. They're dwelling in their past, in the future, in the problems. And we're told, God knows that. And he's saying the answer is, dwell in my love. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. For he himself has said, I will never 
desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? So, however the Bible words that God loves us, that means we can be confident in him. Um, I'll brainstorm with them. What does it mean that you're the beloved of God? And we'll just brainstorm and we'll look in the Bible. It means I'm his child. It means he's forgiven me. It means um, he's transforming me. It means he's making me wiser. It means I'm an heir. And we just brainstorm all these things. And I want that to be their identity. I'm very sinful, but because of Christ, I'm, I'm loved by God and my confidence I will put in God. Another verse along the same line, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Actually, part of the reason that we don't abide there is pride. If we would humble ourselves, we, we would abide there. But we want to be self-reliant, and we think we can find satisfaction elsewhere. Question. Can I say something? Mm-hmm. Um, that phrase recently I've, you know, just with my own self-care, you know, was focusing on this and it got kind of captured by that mighty hand of God phrase and I followed it through the Bible. And um, it's used throughout the Old Testament and every single usage of that word is in reference to God delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so as part of continuing with spiritual cure, you need to talk to them about preaching to themselves. Um, they have a tendency to listen to their own sinful heart, and you want them to um, talk to themselves instead of listening to themselves, purposely talk to themselves. For, the, for, for all of us, but for depressed people, uh, especially the the voice of God in the written word of God can be a very still, quiet voice. And, and it has to be pondered and meditated on and thought about and uh, reviewed and believed. And so, um, well, first let me read you this quote. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that I mentioned before, who wrote the book on depression, he said in there, quote, I suggest the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression in a sense is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. In Psalm 42.5, it begins with the psalmist um, in despair and the way he pulls himself out of it is he preaches to himself. He preaches truth. He talks to himself. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. So what, what we all tend to do, and depressed people um, are doing it too, is we just sort of assume the thoughts that we have from our hearts are true. And um, what we need to question those thoughts. Um, what we, we tend not to discern what our sinful hearts are telling us. If I were to tell you something right now, unbiblical, you would all, hands would go up, someone would say, hey, and you'd want to get it corrected. You would know. But when, you're, when your heart is telling you untrue things like God is disappointed in you and God, you're condemned by God and God's a taskmaster and God's too hard to please, you just accept it and you repeat it over and over and it's becoming gospel to you. But we have to stop that, and we have to listen to the still, quiet voice in the Word of God, and we have to preach that to ourselves. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones also said, quote, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself versus listening to the Word of God? Okay, so we're back to that statement I made about uh, functional unbelief. Um, regarding our justification and our satisfaction. Um, What I want us to do and minister to people, help them to do, is rest from misplaced hope in law-keeping or trying to justify ourselves and misplaced hope in idols of the heart or trying to find satisfaction um, outside of Christ. In Matthew 11, 28, Jesus said, 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the depressed person, are you weary? Yes. Okay, well, Jesus has come to him, and he'll give you rest from that weariness. But what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about unbelievers that are trying to keep the law, or they're going after idols of the heart. But as believers, we function like that. And we have some of the bad fruit from that. We drift into trying to keep the law um, to justify ourselves or idols of the heart to satisfy ourselves. Okay, so I'm going to do a little drawing on the whiteboard. It'll look something like this. But what what happens is um, we need to operate in this center column, but we drift over into the law keeping and we drift over into these idols of the heart. And then we come down these columns and we end up weary. So there's a place of gospel rest that Jesus is calling us to. And, uh, but what happens is we drift over into law-keeping, a misuse of the law, or we drift over into idols of the heart. This is uh, sinful self-effort, a misuse of the law, and this is sinful desire over here. Um, this is um, putting our confidence in the flesh. This is putting our confidence in the flesh. This is putting our confidence in God. And you can see in the Bible, like in Galatians, you can see where flesh is used. Sometimes it's used for this, per, this reason they're doing it, and sometimes it's this that they're doing. Um, this is trying to justify ourselves functionally. This is trying to satisfy ourselves outside of the gospel. So what this would have to do, like, is we drift into... Um, thinking that we have to perform um, to justify ourselves. We have to perform to be right with God. We, we have a tendency to want to make up for our sins with our performance. And so two people can be working hard, and we're, we are to be working hard, but, but the two people can have the wrong motivations. and One can work hard and not get depressed. One can work hard with the wrong motivation and end up depressed. So this is where um, we're performing for the wrong reasons. Um, um, and what happens is when we're performing well, we're, we're way up. And then when we're not performing well, we get down on ourselves and we want to kind of beat ourselves up, kind of a penance. So we can be way up and we can be way down, that kind of thing. Um, our, our identity is in our performance, how well we keep the law. Our worth is in what we accomplish, what we do. Our righteousness is in what we can point to that we've done in a works righteousness. So there's a self-righteousness here that we think, that, you know, innate in us, we can create this righteousness or we can do these things and have this works righteousness. We all believers are on this pendulum swing. Nobody walks this gospel out just right. There's sin in us and we do this. We swing over um, but, but the person who swings over here and stays over here um, is going to end up weary. Um, when, when we're performing well and we have a lot of pride, if, if that's where our worth is coming from, it, well, it is pride. It's really a sin of pride. And when we're beating ourselves up, it's this false humility as though we can make up for our sin ourselves. We're atoning for our sin instead of our Savior atoning for our sin. We don't need to do all this. We've already been justified by what Christ has done. Um, he performed perfectly for us. Oops. He performed perfectly, and he was a perfect sacrifice. We don't need to do penance. We don't need to do this to look good. We look good because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. We don't need to beat ourselves up. Our Savior was beat up 
for us. This is unbelief and pride over here. Uh, we think when we're doing well, um, we're, we're doing well, but it's pride to even be over here. It's pride when we put our worth into that. This is humility. I cannot keep that law. I cannot make up for my sins. I can't atone for my sins. And because of Christ, I look perfect to God. I have the righteousness of Christ. And so um, we, we all do this, but if we start being watchful and prayerful about it, the most practical thing you can do in your Christian walk is turn back to the gospel from doing this. And then what happens is, um, because this is, this is where we think worth comes from, and we're dependent on this, that we start um, wanting others around us to perform. And when they don't, you know, we get judgmental, critical, we criticize, we complain, um, and we just get frustrated because if this person would do better, I, I would, you know, then there would be worth, and we would be secure, and no one would see our sins and, our, and uh, what's wrong with us. So from this, um, there's lots of sin in that. Just coming over here is sin. It's pride and unbelief, but there's all kinds of other sin. Like, like um, there's a wrong view of God over here. There's a, there's a view that somehow you've got to perform to satisfy him. Um, and, so, and, then, and then there could be uh, defensiveness and blame shifting and anger, because if my worth is wrapped up in what I do, and you come to criticize me, you're going to rock my world, and I'm, I'm going to. My first reaction is going to be to defend myself. So there's lots of sins that that are involved in this, and from the sin is weariness, and eventually depression, spiritual depression, not physical depression. Okay, um, and then this side ends up in a, a similar fate. But over here we're looking for uh, satisfaction. Over here we're trying to look good. Over here we're trying to feel good, um, to put it in the most simplest of, of terms. Um, so, you know, whatever we're looking for over here, we have to have uh, love. We, we have to have security. Uh, we have to have reputation. Whatever these things are over here. Um, um, if we put our ultimate hope in these things outside of the gospel, um, we're going to be unsatisfied. They're going to turn on us. They're not going to do for us. They're not going to ultimately satisfy. Um, it's a lie that they could. Um, but we have these things already in the gospel. God loves us. We're secure in Christ. The reputation is, I'm a child of God. I'm in the family of God. Christ is my elder brother. I have the righteousness of Christ. I'm a co-heir of this whole world. That's my reputation. And I'm not saying you don't work on a reputation, but you don't put your ultimate hope in man's reputation of you. You put your ultimate hope in, um, in the gospel. So this list is so long. Um, um, I've written down a hundred of them, but there's probably thousands. You know, um, it's a long list that we all struggle with. But from this, if my satisfaction, feeling good, happiness, all that is going to come out of these things, I'm going to sin to get these things. First of all, it was pride that I didn't rest in having them, um, that I could go out here and get them on my own, away from God. It's unbelief that I'm here, and then there's all those other kinds of sins. I have a wrong view of God. He really, he really won't satisfy enough, and these things will be more satisfying. And There's just a plethora of sins that will happen, and people get weary um, and even depressed. Over here, we're beloved, and if we're beloved, we have all these things that we could want. We have, he loves us, uh, we're secure, he's transforming us, we're co-heirs, we have a reputation, we're his child, we're adopted. It just goes on and on and on, what we have. And when, we, when that is where our faith is, our faith isn't in ourself, or our faith isn't in created things, then we're motivated and empowered to obey and the fruit that comes out of that is joy, the opposite of, of depression. So I'm going to run through some examples of the way um, 
like red flags if we're functioning like that. Um, some people, um, no one, I don't think anybody has all of these things, but, but uh, people you're working with will have some of these things. And in that they're functionally, we're, we're going to start with this justification side, this side over here, um, that people functionally trying to keep the law. Um, in all of us, there's a pharisaical works righteousness. That's the bent in us. Um, we, we have the tendency to live like the older brother and the prodigal son, um, where we're going to do something and we earn something from God. He owes us, that kind of thing. Um, the sinful self-effort. So um, trusting in the flesh or sinful self-effort is a way to kind of head this up. Um, what's involved there, uh, self-righteousness and works righteousness. Um, seeing our identity, our goodness, our worth, and our performance. Um, or if we fail and we're selfish and we have shame and guilt, that's our identity, rather than our identity in Christ. Um, we, we can have a cycle of false confidence and false humility. That's when we're doing really well. We have this false confidence when we're not doing really well. It's a false humility. Because being over here is not humble. And thinking you can make up for your own sins by beating yourself up is not humble. Humble is, I can't do any of that. But he did it. He did it for me. Um, if our main focus is on our accomplishments and failures rather than uh, the work of Christ. Um, so these are just different ways to say this, that you can listen in people and, and draw out of them, or even in our, in our own lives, because we all do it to a degree. Um, living in our own strength instead of God's power. Uh, we see the counselees striving to fix their own spiritual problems. The person, their personal fate or their family's fate, they believe is in their own hands. This is interesting that um, our pride gets hurt at the idea of grace. Um, people trying to live by the try harder rule. I'll just do hard. I'll do better next time. I'll try harder. And then driven by unwritten to-dos of the faith. The Bible tells us what to do, but there's, ex there's extra biblical things and people can get driven by those extra biblical things. Um, guilt is what motivates us to do better instead of grace. Um, you ask God, how does God view you? How do you view God? And you'll get answers like this. He's harsh, he's picky, he's arbitrary, impossible to please, an unloving judge, striving to merit God's favor or acceptance, uh, performing to be loved by God. This is, this is interesting. This, I, this is a trap for me. Is Faith becomes more about service than love. Um, what they're doing is trying to make up for their sin or hide, hide who they, the sinfulness that they are behind what they do. We can be more transparent than that. The gospel says every one of us is a wreck. We already know that. We don't have to meet each other. We know that. Um, Self-described perfectionist could be a warning sign of that. Labeled a workaholic could be a red flag. Doing penance, beating ourselves up when we're weak or sinful. Um, you could have someone depressed where what the core issue for them is they're thinking they have to meet God halfway for forgiveness. God forgave these sins, but I have a part in these bigger sins, which really is, it sort of sounds humble because they're sad about it, but it's pride that they would have any part of the forgiveness of their sins. And some people will stay in depression as a way of penance, of saying, I'm sorry to you, God, I want to feel bad. So you know, you know, I feel bad about what I've done. People that are over here, uh, private prayer can become increasingly hard or stop. And then they can impose this uh, standard performance on others, be critical, um, overly critical of others. And what's interesting is that, that this standard of performance that we put together, it is so minuscule compared to God's standard of perfection and Christ's perfectly carrying that out in both his performance and his sacrifice. If I feel I have worth because I do well at work, and when I don't do well at work, I feel terrible, I don't, I don't feel good about myself, that is a little standard of performance I've made up, and I can't even hardly keep that. And Jesus, every thought, every motivation, every word, um, every deed was perfect. 
Okay, so what do we, what do we tell people? Um, we want to encourage them that God is good enough to save. He is good enough to justify. You have been justified. Um, that we rest in Christ's performance and His righteousness, His power, not our own. It's, we rest in His sacrifice for sins, His sacrifice for our failures, even His sacrifice for our spiritual depression. And we rest in being free to admit our weakness. That is, the gospel gives reality. Reality is we're weak people because of sin. And then we rest in we're already justified because of Christ. And we rest in there's not one thing needed to do. Sometimes when I drift over here, I just have to stop and say, there's nothing I need to do and I have peace with God. I'm right with God. Okay, the other side of it, drifting over here for placing our hope for satisfaction outside of Christ, is trusting in the flesh again. It's sinful desire. And it's, you know, things like love, security, acceptance, happiness, respect, comfort, family, all those things, which is kind of like the younger prodigal brother in the way we function, even though we, we're not going after harlots. But when you push God and his word aside to, to get things to satisfy your soul, it, that's what we're doing. Um, so it's putting hope in people, in circumstance, temporal things, created things. And this rightly creates fear um, because these things can change, they can be taken away, and they can't ultimately satisfy. So if your hope is in it, it gets taken away, great fear. If your hope is in it, it never gets taken away. Every day you have fear that that might be taken away or you might, you might lose that. So, where we want to spend our time with the people is get them to rest in the gospel. God is truly good enough to satisfy. Um, we can rest in all the different gospel riches we have. We're beloved by God, so we have security, acceptance, happiness, respect, comfort, family, all these things. Uh, we've been chosen by God. We have holiness, forgiveness, adoption, righteousness, transformation, Grace. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have identity in the gospel. That's where our hope comes from. Our sense of well-being, meaning, purpose, peace, motivation, the reason to keep living should come from here, not, not from over here. So we rest in what truly satisfies and what can't be taken away. There's... Uh, a pendulum swing that goes on in everybody. Um, there's also, this is as close as I can get to seeing the heart of people when I hear them say certain things that they're looking for. Um, I'll, uh, they're very important to um, work, work those out with them. But this is kind of the closest I can get. God sees the heart perfectly. He knows exactly how we're doing this, the extent we're doing this. He knows, he sees this part of the heart perfectly. But we can see it this much. In, in people that we're working with. This is enough for them to turn back here and, and get free. Um, there's also what I, sa I said, law to the second power, idols to the second power. There's this dynamic interaction between the two also. Um, uh, sometimes you can't even tell which is this side and which is this side. You don't have to get that clear on it. You just have to get this clear or, so that people know where to go and they can be watchful and prayerful of what they're doing in their life. Um, but there's a dynamic interaction that compounds all this uh, between the two. So I said before, um, the most important practice in your Christian life is to turn to here, turn to Christ. If you're over here, turn to here. It's something we have to do daily um, to rest in the gospel like that. Um, the word gospel gets said so much, sometimes it starts to become ordinary. Um, some people will say even meaningless for their daily life, but if we apply it to daily life, it's extraordinary. It increases joy. There's, there's power in it. Um, okay, so we're, we're, get, we're uh, up against the clock now. So, so there's other specific biblical thinking that you have to, if people aren't thinking biblically, you want to help them as you listen to them and spend time with them. You'll hear the unbiblical thinking. 
you help them with that. Um, uh, things like this. There's two paths when you're in a trial or you're sad. One path is that you take the time to think about from Scripture what God is doing, that He has a good purpose in it, which is Christ-likeness, and you can have joy in that trial. Um, if they suppress the truth of that and all they want to believe is the bad and the fear and the worry about the future, then there, you can have depression out of the trial or, or the sadness can lead to depression. So you help people to think biblically like that. Um, okay, so in your notes are key biblical text. Um, that both are help with depression, counseling, and also gospel-focused. Uh, one thing I want to uh, stress is um, really understand this concept that you're hearing through this conference about the indicatives and imperatives. Um, indicatives, what God has done in counseling a depressed person, this is where you start. Um, and this is what you emphasize, what God has done for them, who they are in Christ. And from that, we, we respond by obeying the imperatives or the commands. So people do need to put in effort, but when they're doing it based on what God has done, that, that effort isn't burdensome. Okay, this is something that um, um, helps some people with just have a talk to them about reality. Um, and having a biblical view of a fallen world and suffering is that help them to accept that not all symptoms might go away. That often can be helpful. Um, believers do have to endure things, but they're blessed for it. James 5.11, we count those blessed who endured. That helps some people to know that. Some of this I just have to endure, and I'll be blessed. And then we know we look to Christ's return for our ultimate hope in all this. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. James 5, 7, and 8. And then at the resurrection, our bodies and minds will be fully redeemed and not till them till then. And then um, under trial, help the believer to see that we abide under trial. You have a trial, you live out the Christian life under the trial. A trial doesn't have to turn your Christian life completely upside down or apart. Okay, so homework. You, I believe you have a, a attachment, which would be probably stapled or um, at the back of your notes. So I put together for you um, examples of homework you can use um, with a counselee. I, I would think not all of this would be used um, with every counselee, certainly not all of it right away, but actually people I've worked with, almost all of this was used over the course of the time with them. So. Um, Address their physical needs. If there's a physical problem, it's due to a fallen body. And there's specific concrete ways there to do that. And then a Bible reading plan for them. The first one, number one, stresses the indicatives of Scripture. Having them concentrating on the indicatives. And then there's some other ideas. Uh, devotional reading. There's some uh, shorter uh, reading there where it's a couple of pages that they can read. Um, which will immerse them in the gospel. Hope cards are something you can do. You can write out verses of hope on a card. On the other side, you can write a prayer, praying the word back to God. They keep that with them all week, so they're not with you. And when they need hope, they can bring the, the verse out and they have hope. They don't have to wait to see you or to be home with their Bible. They can have those with them. And then in addition to Bible reading, you could assign collateral reading. There's reading here that would focus on um, the gospel and uh, some focusing on the topic of depression. There's audios here that um, gospel depression, prayers they can pray, journaling. For someone who's um, not a doer, um, maybe, maybe their idol is comfort, ease, and they're not a doer, and their, relation, their responsibilities are falling apart. You can give them a list of things to do, help them with the schedule. This person over here, I'm not going to give them more to do. I'm going to ask them to believe more 
not more to do. Um, a thank list, uh, data timeline, encouraging others, serve. This one may need to serve. This one may need to if he's just serving himself, but you get the idea. Of, you got to be careful with <coughs> this one just doing more. They need to believe more. Both sides need to believe more. And then in your note should be a list of resources, which some of that I have listed in the homework examples you can use, but there's more in the resources. And I've uh, broken those up into, like the list of books, there's some here focused on the gospel and depression, but these other types of resources specifically, some are more focused on depression, some more focused on just the gospel whatever happens to be uh, needed. A lot of the depression ones you want to read, so you understand as a counselor, the gospel ones you want, you want them to read. So um, in conclusion, um, rest in the gospel in your own life first, and then from your experience, uh, from your awareness of that, tell others to do that as you minister to them. Um, with the power of the gospel, with the power believing this, the power takes you here and motivates you to get there. With the power of the gospel, wisdom from scripture, there's more that we can do to restore joy than we often ask or even think and which will glorify Christ. Um, thank you for being here. Um, apologize for a few minutes over. Thank you. Copyright 2013, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free audios can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org.